You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Thank you. Well, making wise choices. I love the graphic. It looks like we've got some different choices we can make. Uh, we talked about one of those choices could be foolishness if we're not careful. In that first week, we talked about the features of foolishness, which is the opposite of wisdom. And we don't want to fall into that trap. And we talked about how we can avoid some of those things. Last week, we talked about work and the importance of work and how often God's word speaks of work and, and the enemy of work being laziness and slothfulness and being a sluggard. And wow, it's, it's just amazing how often God's word speaks of these things. Proverbs has some subjects that are, are spoken of often throughout the book. Uh, and one of those is the subject we're going to talk about this morning. Making wise decisions about our money. And we're learning, remember, from the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon. And Solomon became the richest man that ever lived. And learning from him, we understand that all of his wisdom came from God. God gave Solomon his wisdom. And so Solomon wrote down the things that God gave him. And we call it the book of Proverbs. And what we've done is we've pulled out from the book of Proverbs for our sermon this morning the strongest verses that that we could find on this subject of money. Now, obviously, that's somewhat in my opinion. There's many other verses than than I'm going to give you this morning. I've chosen 15. 15 verses. Now, here's what's interesting, and I kind of propose uh, this to you as a challenge, uh, something you might practice in your Bible study. And this would be one of those sermons this would apply to. For instance, this morning, I could choose to just do this, and it would be so effective. Uh, In fact, I will do it a little bit. And that is, put a verse on the screen, and we'll read that verse. But you know, this morning, if I did not include my dialogue in the message, the examples, the illustrations, and all of the extra... And all we did was just put those 15 verses on the screen this morning and read them five times out loud. And then let's say after the five times we read them together out loud, we just sat in silence in meditation for about three minutes per verse. It'd still be about a 50, 45, 40, 45 minute sermon. And I would have not added anything to it. It would have just been God's word read four or five times and meditated on for about three minutes per verse. I'm going to tell you, they're life changing. And that's what I've done. I've read the book of Proverbs. I've taken time to identify these verses. I've meditated on these verses, and they have truly been life-altering, life-changing in my life. And so I'm going to say some extra things, but I want you to know there's so much more that could be said, and the Holy Spirit is the best voice. So another thing I would encourage you to do is every time we read a verse from the book of Proverbs on the subject of money is to take your pen in the margin of your Bible, put a dollar sign. Maybe later on, identify with the, a, high, a green highlighter. Get it? Green, money. And highlight every verse in the book of Proverbs, green, that deals with money. This will help you as you go back and study some more and go to your small groups this week and just take some time to let this sermon live way beyond the 35 to 45 minutes we'll spend this morning. And I've already expired some of that time, so let's quickly move on. The entire truth this morning can be summed up in one statement. I'm going to give you that key statement, and we're going to start off with it. Are you ready? Here it is. Money. Gain it honestly. Esteem it accurately. Share it generously or it will destroy you. Now let's think about that for just a moment as we repeat it one more time. Money, gain it honestly. Money, esteem it accurately. Money, share it generously. Or money, 
will destroy you. Now, we're going to go through this statement and kind of break it down. We're going to start, though, with the last thing in that statement because it's, it's the negative thing. And, you know, I think sometimes as we've started off somewhat with a positive spiritual atmosphere, the worship was, oh, so powerful. Shedding tears on that front row as I thought about that last song. It's just awesome to be able to worship with you folks. I love coming to church for that reason. And we get our hearts full of God, right? And I feel like I'm ready for the truth. And then sometimes I get my step, my feet stepped on in the truth. Anybody ever, anybody ever there? All right, good. Well, I've already experienced that because I was in the first service. So welcome to the land of footstepping. All right, so I, I've already experienced that. Then we finish off with something positive, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But I want to address the, the negative first. In other words, the downside, the things that we need to understand and beware of, the warning signs dealing with money. So number one, money can destroy you. I want to make a very strong statement. Money has the power to reach down into your house, your life and your house, and absolutely devastate all of your hopes and dreams for the future. And, according to Scripture even, cast your very soul into hell. That's a strong statement. I understand that. But I feel as if I'm going to come out of the gates with a statement such as money can destroy you, it needs to be backed up by a very firm conviction. And that's what I've done this morning. I want to begin by calling out some names of famous people that money has devastated and destroyed. I'm not going to call out very many. There's so many more that I could call out as I studied this week some of the uh, names in sports and Hollywood and other uh, industries that where people became billionaires. Even recently in the news, so many billionaires whose life have been devastated by, uh, by, by sin and other things that can be traced back to money. Howard Hughes is an old name. What about this one? David Kennedy. David Kennedy was, uh, this comes, and by the way, I'm going to read you something. This comes from the June 14th, 1968 issue of, of Time magazine. There appeared a picture of a young David Kennedy. And he was sitting outside the White House. And the picture had been taken several years before. It was inscribed uh, by his uncle, John Kennedy, the president. And it said this, a future president inspects his property. Signed, John Kennedy. And though David Kennedy had name and status, the article said, and wealth, and all the money could buy. In 1984, he was found dead in his own, by his own hand at the age of 28. Because all the money in the world led to despair, desperation, and destruction. Try to guess who said this. I'm going to read this quote. I sit in my house in Buffalo and sometimes I get so lonely it's unbelievable. Life has been so good to me. I've got a great wife, good kids, lots of money, my own health, but I'm lonely and I'm bored. I've often wondered why so many rich people commit suicide. Money sure isn't a cure-all. A quote from People magazine in 1968 from O.J. Simpson. Can money destroy? Definitely. Proverbs chapter 22. Look with me on the screen at verse number 7. Let's begin with a very foundational uh, verse here in Proverbs that the rich rule over the poor. And then the Bible teaches this throughout the word of God that the borrower is slave or servant or in bondage to the lender. Now, if borrowing leads to bondage, then the United States of America, as you well know, is in a very deep pit. Because even recently, we discovered a very recent stat that if you took the population of America and gave it all equal debt, 
it would, it would add up to the average consumer debt is $38,000 per U.S. citizen, not including their mortgage. Wow. There's three groups of people I have come to find out in society. I used to think there were just two. When I thought there were two, it was just the haves and the have-nots. But I've come to identify a third group, and that's the haves-nots paid for what they haves. And that's a lot of folks. Because when the borrower becomes the servant to the lender, I want you to follow me now. Follow me if that's true. If the borrower is in bondage to the lender, then the, let's, let's just study a couple of things here. First of all, let's begin with marital breakdown. The reason I begin with marital breakdown is because in my time as pastor of this church, even in the church, this stat rings true, although it's given as a secular stat, that by far the number one cause of marital breakdown, by far, by a mile, is money. Money. Even in church, how to make it, how to spend it, financial pressure, arguments over money. And of course, when marital breakdown is, 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 is at full throttle, it usually and oftentimes does end in divorce. And the number one result of divorce is the tragic effect that it has upon the lives of the children in that marriage. Divorce is the number one cause of behavioral problems in children. Behavioral problems produce the number one cause of serious crime, violent crime in our country, behavioral disorder. So let's just do the math. Let's back it up. You've got behavioral problems that are, that are causing violent crimes and serious crimes that are linked back to Divorce, which are linked back to financial pressure, which go back to marital breakdown. You see, money can destroy you. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 6 says this. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but trouble. And I want us to focus on that word trouble for a moment. Trouble befalls the income. Maybe your version says the revenue of the wicked. What kind of trouble? What kind of trouble are we talking about? We're talking about the trouble that comes to people with money, but no righteous plan on how to use it. And in my transparency as a pastor, I've often confessed to our people as I preach that no doubt I've struggled at times in my life and marriage and as I've learned these principles with not having a righteous plan in my finances. And I bring to you this truth today because if you are making money and you are not sold out to a righteous plan of how to use it, it will destroy you. And we're trying to discover what that righteous plan is this morning. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 17 first. And then verse 18, 17 says this, and pay close attention to it. It's written in the context of a clamorous woman who is approaching and tempting a very simple man. If you were to read the preceding verses. But let's get right to the truth. She says to him, stolen waters are sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Think about it. Stolen waters are sweet. Is that true? Oh, yes, that's true. They are sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. I mean, there is a momentary pleasure in it. Let me give you an illustration. Scott, do you like Cinnabon? I hope you do, man. I think if your heart is beating and you're alive, you should like Cinnabon or you should, you know, just say, look, I'm not even saved. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. That is not in the Bible, not in the book of Bible. Okay, I'm joking. 
Cinnabon. Love Cinnabon. So we go to Cinnabon, right? We go to the mall. Let's go to Little Rock because I don't think they have one at Hot Springs. I don't think Hot Springs has much of anything in the mall. But anyway, so we're going. They have what? They have it in Thailand. Okay, so let's go to the mall in Thailand since you got some good news this week. And we're getting ready to go back in about a year. I can't believe it. I'm so excited. I'm going to miss you. But I'm excited about supporting uh, Thailand in, this, in the mission efforts. But let's go, to, let's go to the mall in Little Rock. Uh, let's go to Cinnabon, Scott. And I, I, I tell you what, I want to get you one. I can smell them. We go up to the little stand there. Scott's like, I'm all in, preacher. And I, I don't have any money. And I'm like, Scott, we've got to have a Cinnabon. I said, look, Scott, as soon as they turn their head, I'm going to take one. Don't worry, we're going to get one. So she turns her head. I grab a Cinnabon. Scott and I both run to the hallway of the mall. And man, we're at it, man. You think that Cinnabon tastes good? You better believe it tastes good. Tastes real good. Momentarily. For a little while. For just a minute, that, yes, for a moment, it tastes really good. Stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. The principle here that's being taught is that if you are not right with God, money will destroy you. You may for a moment, you may for just a little while enjoy these, the deceit and the stolen waters and the dishonest gain. But I can assure you that in the end, an unrighteous plan, not having a righteous plan, not living by the word of God when it comes to finances, not understanding the principles in Proverbs will destroy you. Another strong verse in scripture found in Mark chapter number 10 and verse 25. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, just for a minute, let's meditate on that. A camel going through the eye of a needle. Thank God in our family, I'm not the sower. My wife is. Can I get an amen right there, gentlemen? All right. Okay, good. Maybe some of you are sowers. And uh, anyway, it's amazing. We're not a good responding church. I try, but you don't, guys who don't like that, I, I'm still trying. I'm still trying. Huh, believe me. Feedback is important to most preachers, all right? But I won't do this. Amen? Don't worry. That's old school. Okay. And, uh, but anyway, I've tried to get a thread through the eye of a needle. Listen, I can't sew, but if I could, I couldn't because I can't get the stupid thread through the eye of a needle. I spend 10 minutes licking the thread and it still won't go through the stupid eye of a needle. So I'm reading that verse thinking I can't even get a thread through the eye of a needle. Yes. (laughs) If it's easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle, much less a thread than for a rich man to go to heaven. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, this is not for me. I'm not a millionaire. Let me tell you something, church. Don't, for a minute, excuse yourself. Everybody in this room should be alarmed at that verse because we're all rich. Compared to the world's standards, you're sitting in this room a very wealthy person. Please don't excuse yourself into thinking that, well, this message really isn't for me. I don't have a lot of money. So, no, 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 no. This message is for everybody in this room, regardless of where you're at, how you define wealth and riches at the end of the day. If you live in America, you're considered to be some of the wealthiest people on planet Earth. We should be alarmed at this. There is something about having a lot that makes me think that I only need God Just a little bit. And there's something about having nothing that brings me to the realization that I need God a lot. You see, what we need to understand this morning as we study this truth together is that how do you have a lot and come to the realization that you know that you need God? The Bible says it's very hard for that to happen. 
It's very hard for Americans to know they need God. We have so much. We're so blessed. We have so much. Many of us think that, you know, if we do a little token, come to church every Sunday, and we don't participate in much of anything, definitely not giving. I mean, you know, I'm not, listen, I, I don't know how they keep pay the bills around here, but, uh, you know, I hope they, I guess they're doing okay somehow. They're figuring it out, you know, because I'm sure not going to help. I got enough burdens of my own. And, 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 and we begin to, to become very, very selfish with the gain that we've been given if we're not careful and we, we never learn this lesson of, of how can I have a lot and yet need God a lot? We're going to get to that and answer that question before the end of the sermon. But first, let's answer the question. Go back to the verse, Ken. The second part of that verse, or rather, yes, but, the, but he does not know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of hell. Sheol, hell. So let's, let's ask the question, is there a hell? The answer is yes. And you just so happen to be at a church this morning that still preaches that there is a hell because the Bible says there is a hell. And so we're not afraid to identify that in in a loving way, but in in a very bold way. So if there is a hell and there is, then there are people right now burning in hell as we speak. So if we could interview one of those people and ask ask them the question, how did you get here? What would they say? I'm sure some would say, you know, well, I just really never thought I would be here. But I think that many, especially from the Western world in hell right now, would report that money was the anchor that threw them down there. Money. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. Riches do not pop. What is the day of wrath? Well, first of all, as we look that word wrath up and we understand the definition of wrath, let's do that for just a moment and define it as Scripture gives it here as fierce anger, vehement, holy anger because of sin. So in the day of wrath, riches don't deliver. Riches don't profit. So we go to Revelation chapter 20, to the place of The great white throne judgment, the day of wrath, God's judgment upon those that are lost. Many of those who had everything in this life, who were rich in this life. And so as they stand at that great white throne judgment to receive the wrath of God upon their lives, I wonder how many are going to look for an ATM machine. I wonder how many are going to say, you know what, if I could could just get a hold of some money before I get in front of God, how much time do I have? Maybe I could take back some of the riches I left my children. I left them a whole lot. I left them more than they could ever, you know, handle. And maybe I could go back and kind of redo my will and get some of that back because I need to give some things to God. But riches do not profit in that day. Money can destroy you. And I don't want it to destroy me. And so I now begin this journey with you, that if I don't want money to destroy me, then, then how can I avoid that, right? So let's jump into the next thought. To avoid that, I must, number one, and according to the Bible, especially Proverbs, gain it honestly. Gain it honestly. Here is a principle for you and I to live by. This is the message of Proverbs. Gain your money honestly. Now, you know, sometimes I think we identify dishonest in, in the area of money as just scheming and cheating on your taxes or just deceit, stealing, 
But do you live a lie saying, these are my priorities, but you neglect the priorities of God in order to get rich? That's also dishonesty. By neglecting the priorities of God, by trying to figure things out your own way and avoiding what God says is also dishonest. Proverbs 13, 11 says this. Wealth gained hastily, or you may have a version that says dishonestly, will dwindle. But whoever gathers little by little. I gave an illustration, I think even last week, about work and, and, and about my dad, who I saw, by the way, in New Orleans this week with the teens, who gained little by little and saw an increase. I would almost hate to know how many of us spend our time even in this room, buying lottery tickets or going to the casino. Thinking as if we can strike it rich, if that'll solve all of our problems, if we can just get a million dollars, if we can just be one of those. And yet every study will tell you that those riches dwindle so quickly. You see, what you work for honestly brings something with it. What you work for honestly brings with it wisdom. Wisdom to manage it. But what you gain dishonestly, you don't have the wisdom to manage it. The most important thing you need is wisdom. For what you gain, however much you gain, wisdom is the most important thing you need. Proverbs 28, verse 6, write a dollar sign next to this one. Highlight in green. Here it is. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity. Now, wait a minute. We're not talking about, when we say poor, let's identify. Because sometimes I think we just exit the verse very quickly thinking, well, this is talking about, you know, a homeless man or somebody that doesn't work or doesn't have a job. No, 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 no. I'd like first to identify a poor man as just somebody who may just work a job. He, he, he goes home and feeds his family and spends time with his crew. And, oh, he may not have a whole lot. And he may not have a new car, you know, fancy house, may not live on the lake, whatever you may decide. But at the end of the day, he, it's not that he's starving, he doesn't have anything, it's just that he maybe doesn't have as much as everybody else. But better is that man who walks in integrity than a rich man who's crooked in his ways. Because sometimes it comes down to this. I can be honest and lose my job, or I can be dishonest and keep my job. Sometimes it comes down to this. I can be honest and lose the deal. Or I can be dishonest and get the deal. You see, if you're not gaining your income honestly, it will destroy you. And don't compromise your integrity because better is a poor man. Someone who may have less than someone else, but he has his integrity. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 7. I love this. The righteous who walks in his integrity. Remember in the previous verse, it was a poor man that didn't have a whole lot, but he's got his integrity. He's a righteous man. Here's a saved man who walks in his integrity, and here's the gift for that. His children are blessing him. I love that. Because I want to say this, that I am blessed and you are blessed with the privilege of children. Amen. They're a gift from God. This week, I got to spend some time with your children. We had a blast. I got to walk with them and talk with them and fellowship with them and get to know them better. And more than things, they need a loving family. More than things, they need a good example. 
More than things, they need a strong spiritual foundation. Some say, well, I'm going to give them both. God and money. I'm going to do both. I got this. Before you do that, let's, let's see what Jesus has to say about that in the book of Matthew. Because no man can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other because you cannot. Before you attempt to prove God wrong, please read this verse. You cannot serve God and money. And again in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 7. Scripture says, the righteous who walks in his integrity. Remember, blessed are his children after them. And so I say this as a challenge to all of our parents. Just a statement for us to kind of wake up call. Because I think sometimes as we live in this life and feel as if we could just give our kids more things and more big things and more you know, cars at age 16, we would be better off if we just said to our kids, no Disney World, no big ticket presents, no expensive college. Instead of earning and spending all this money on things that we think are giving you a leg up in the world, we're going we're gonna to go to work less. And we're going to spend more time with you. We're going to pour ourselves into your life. We're going to live a life of integrity. And your kids will thank you. Don't deny them you and replace it with money. Don't do that. It's a bad exchange. The righteous who walk in his integrity. Maybe a poor man may not have as much. Maybe a guy that comes home early and, 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 and every now and then just uh, turns down a job promotion because it would take him farther away from his family. But that man is walking in integrity and his kids are blessed after him. What kind of price tag can you put on that? How much money is that worth? How many raises is that worth? Proverbs nineteen twenty two. What is desired in a man is steadfast love. This became my favorite verse in the sermon, and it took me a while as I looked at other versions. Who has, who has the, a version that says this? Raise your hand if you don't mind. I know it's a little participation, but what is desired in a man is kindness. Does anybody have kindness? Thank you. Kindness, kindness, kindness. Good. I like that. That's really, personally, I like that the most, but I'm, I'm going to use both. Steadfast love and kindness to illustrate this. So here is what is desired in a man, the Bible says. Proverbs says, what's desired in a man is kindness. Just good guy, good dad. Steadfast love, loves his family, first and foremost. Loves, loves God, loves his family, loves others. Now, poor man's better than a liar. Here's a guy that, he just comes home every day and Maybe he has dinner with his family. Maybe he leads in devotions. Ah, oh, Christmas isn't always as big and glamorous and his vacation sometimes or, you know, to Little Rock. But at the end of the day, what's really desired of a man? At the end of the day, what are his kids going to talk about? When he's dead and gone, are his kids going to get up in the, in, in, in the eulogy and say, you know what, man, I'm just thankful my dad gave me at age 60 and I got a car and we always, you know, he always did this and he did that and brought us all these big things. Is that what it's going to be? Or is it going to be, you know what, dad, he never had everything everybody else had. We never gave us everything we wanted, but I tell you one thing we always knew. He loved us. He was kind. You know what I think the Bible's teaching us here? I think Solomon is saying that money does something to people. It changes them. 
the more they get. It seems the more they, they change. They're, they're not as nice anymore. They become greedy. Riches are not wrong and income is not wrong. I'm not saying that at all. You obviously know I wouldn't say that. But it is dangerous. And that's the warning here that, that money can be dangerous. And so the, the warning here is, listen, what is desired in a man is kindness, is steadfast love. And remember that a poor man is better than a liar. So if I'm going to gain it honestly, if I'm going to be an honest person and gain my income honestly, then, then how do I do that? How do I accomplish that? Number three, you do that by esteeming it accurately. You see, when you esteem money accurately, you can do a much better job at gaining it honestly. Don't view money for something different than it really is. Be very careful about that because how you assess money will oftentimes determine your view of it. And Proverbs 18, 11 shares some truth with us. It says it like this, that a rich man's wealth is his strong city. Now, wait a minute. My Bible tells me who my strong city is to be. Does anybody know who your strong tower is to be? God. The Bible says over and over again that God is your strong tower. God is your strength. God is your security. God is your protection. But when you have wealth, you tend to think of money as your protection and as your security. Like a high wall in his imagination. If I just have a lot of money. Here's a man that could retire and he could retire. But he doesn't retire because he wants more money. And so he goes back to work and keeps on working and keeps on making more money. Why? Because money gives him his, 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 his protection. Money gives him his security. Someone says, well, our world's in a bad shape. I don't know what's going to happen. Daddy says, don't worry. We got a lot of money. We're good. Dad's made a lot of money. Money solves everything. We're good. We'll, we'll be fine. We got money. But when we have riches, we tend to look at them as doing for us what only God can do. We've got to be careful about that. We've got to steam money accurately. And so in order to do that, I want to share with you a verse in Proverbs 23 and verse 4 and 5. It says, don't wear yourself out to get rich. Uh-oh. Turn your phone off. I, I, I got to keep it on. I got work may call. Well, you never know. If I slip out preaching, don't worry. It's just work. Turn your computer off. Quit bringing your work home with you. Don't wear yourself out. Go home. Take a break. Relax. Stop giving your attention to get rich. Because as soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears. It makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. You see, to esteem money accurately, we have to get rid of our wrong estimations about it. And so I'm going to give you five things that we think money can do that it can't. It just can't. Number one, money can make me happy. No, it can't. It can't. That's a wrong estimation. You're not esteeming it accurately. When you think money can make you happy. Man, if I just had money, I'd be happy. Number two, money can make me content. The person who thinks money can make them content is saying this right now. Well, if we can just get that, if we can just get that, 
We just have this. If we just get that money, get that car, get that house, get this lake, get this thing. If I can just get that. And what happens is they get that and guess what they want? That. The next thing. And then the next thing. You see, money cannot make you content. Don't, don't think that money can do that for you. It can't. Again, esteem it accurately. I'm trying to, with God's help, understand this gift that God's given us to earn and make money. Number three, money will give me family appreciation. I just tell you, my family will appreciate me. I just know if I get money and and I can, you know, provide and give them things and give them good vacations and, man, if I can just get her a car, get him this, get her that, you know, I'll be appreciated and they'll tell me how great I am. Not necessarily. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, when it's all said and done, most kids aren't appreciating the things you got them. They're appreciating the time you spent with them. You know, what I have found is I'm grateful that God has given me a wife that likes McDonald's french fries. Because you know what? You don't have to spend a whole lot of money sometimes to just enjoy your family. Which brings me to my fourth point, and I'll expand a little bit. Money will make me feel better about myself. I don't care about anybody else. I just want money because I want to feel better about myself. I just had $2 million. Look, preacher, I'm telling you, give me $2 million and I'll be good. I won't cause you any problems. I won't ever get counseling. I won't need any help. I just, you know, I just feel better about myself if I can just have money because then I can buy happiness. I read this not long ago that somebody was willing to give a million dollars for eternal life in heaven. And I want to call the guy and say, it's free. It's free. Somebody tell this guy. He doesn't have to spend a million. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. And I think about my wife, Carol Ann. We've been married here in about 10 days for 31 years. We'll celebrate 31 years together. And, you know, honey, I'm thankful that, you know, you, you have been someone who I have enjoyed <laughs> And you know, it hasn't really cost me a whole lot. I haven't need $2 million to impress you, thank God. Thank God a $1.49 at McDonald's makes you super duper happy. It's amazing how happy our marriage is. And you would think, you know, I take it to Ruth's Chris every weekend. We've been a few times in our lifetime. I do like a nice meal. Sometimes I'll trade the french fries for a steak, eh, bet? But at the end of the day, I found out that's not what makes us happy. My children, spending time with them taking them on a date, just enjoying their company. I haven't been able to get Chloe a car yet, and I want to, and I probably will, and if anybody deserves one, she does, but at, so I'm working on it, sweetheart. But at the end of the day, just keep asking me if, when I get in the car, if you can drive. Because that's free. <laughs> Yesterday, we went somewhere together, and she, she, she said, and I always think twice about it. She's actually getting really good, though. She has her license and everything, so don't worry. Some of you are going to text me. Hey, when Chloe's driving, just call me. I'll stay off the road. Okay, it is. Just kidding. But, you know, we're just enjoying it. I mean, here's my point. I think sometimes we just get this in our minds that, that what happiness is, is if I had money, then I could give everybody everything they wanted, and they'd be happy, and I'd be happy. And we forget that what we're sacrificing oftentimes is the free things in life that really make us happy. It doesn't cost us anything. Friendship. Friendship. Anybody want to put a price tag on friendship? What would you give for a good friend? I mean, how much would you spend? Half a million dollars to have a good friend? Would you put a price tag on, good, on a good friend? Because I want to tell you something. 
A good friend is rather to be chosen than great riches. A good friend's not a good friend because of what you have. They're a good friend because of what Scripture teaches us that just, just they, they, they love you for who you are, not for what you can give them. Amen. You see, I think sometimes we just, we just think money is what we need to solve these issues and give us this joy. Number five, money will give me acceptance with others. People will like me more. Well, I, I, I've never had a lot of money, but I can tell you this has never worked for me. Don't learn the hard way. It's just not true. It's a wrong estimation about money. God free us from the bondage of money. Let's go to the last thing here. Share it generously. Ah, you see, if I gained it honestly and I esteem it accurately, then I can see now where I would have more to share generously. Because I'm not really concerned about riches and having more in this lifetime. I I get it now. As God provides, I'm able to do more for others. Share it generously. Proverbs chapter number 28, verse 22 says, A stingy man, that's what it says, a stingy man. You know, the guy, the worst part of the service is the offering. He doesn't come for the offering. He comes for the sermon because the preacher makes him laugh a little bit and keeps his attention. And he's kind of wondering who pays the bills. But, hey, I guess it's all getting done, you know. I like the worship service, too. But I don't. That church, all they do, every service, they take up a place. You're missing it. That's the best part. That's the best part. See, a stingy man hastes after wealth and does not know that poverty is coming upon him. The generosity of, of, of money. Share your income generously and God will bless you. Proverbs 22 and verse 9 says it like this. The generous will themselves be blessed for their, they share their food with the poor. The generous will be blessed. When we share our resources with others... It's amazing how God provides more resources to share with others. I love it. I mean, 20 years ago, we introduced this thing uh, of, of, of giving $5 a week to the bus ministry. Because, you know, it, it costs a lot of money. Gas and insurance and these buses and the promotions. And we used to run 10 buses every weekend. Now we just run about three. We've made some adjustments to our outreach programs, which has been good for the church, although it still costs money. But then we raised it to $10 a week. Uh, to give to the bus ministry. Well, I've been doing that for 20 years. Tiffany added up this morning, said, if you've been giving $10 a week for 20 years, that's about $10,400. In the first service, Mark Cantrell was in the service and he had sitting next to him, Janiqua. But I'll just use Adriana, who was reached through our bus ministry. Adriana, you ride the bus now, don't you? Hey, stand for just a minute, Adriana, for just a second. Yeah, just stand for a second for preaching. She's one of my best buds, right? Thank you, Adriana. Adriana? If, if your life and your testimony, what God is doing for you, has cost me 10 bucks a week, it's worth it. Or I could just have Nathan Sellers give me the 10400 back and just say, you know what, it's not worth it. Just go to Centerfold and get a job. Just go to the bar and get drunk. It, it don't matter. Your life doesn't matter. I'd rather have my 10 bucks a week. And see, I like Starbucks more than I like you. So just, if you get... If you get to get to heaven, good luck. It's on your own, Bill. I'm not going to do anything to help you. I'm joking, okay? Don't take me serious. <laughs> I think she's like, oh, no, preacher, don't stop giving that $10. There's another Adriana out there that needs it. You know, sometimes I just think we, we don't understand that when we take up this offering at Gospel Light and give generously, we get to be a part of everything that's going on all over the world in missions. 
I mean, all the results, all those missionary letters, all the people getting saved in, in some of these foreign fields, all the results that, that Elson just had when he got back from Brazil, which are amazing. He sat in my office and talked to me about what God's doing in Brazil and some of the things God used him to do. And I'm just amazed at these things. And I think, man, I'm so thankful. Whatever I'm going without so that, 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 God's, that, that the world can hear the gospel is worth it. Makes a difference. Gethsemane House, you guys, you're worth it. We're worth all the effort, all the, you know, they, they get to use our gymnasium now to have their, a big part of their outreach, and, and, and we're giving haircuts over there. You guys are doing it, right? It's amazing ministry, and, 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 and Jeff heads that up, and I can't remember, is Jeff here? Okay, he probably get a haircut. Anyway, and, uh, no, Jeff always comes, but Jeff, Jeff runs that ministry, and I think, you know, Whatever cost is involved in, in that effort to help guys get off the street and get a warm meal, aren't you glad our church participates every month? And last, last, last month, I think it was 85 men got a haircut, got a meal, got a shower in, the, in our gym. In our gym. You say, well, preacher. Preacher, we need to be, be careful about that because there, there's a water bill and there's electric bill and there's the light bill and all this stuff. Uh, you know, and, and what about the cleanup? And yeah, yeah, I know all that. <laughs> Your tithe dollars at work. Yeah, it's great. It's called giving generously. It's called being a part of the Great Commission. It's exciting. I love Proverbs chapter three, verse nine and ten. It says this: Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with you. How do you do that? How do you honor the Lord with your wealth? Well, you do it by giving your first fruits. That's how you honor God with your wealth. You bring your tithes to the storehouse. You bring your first fruits of all your produce. Back then, that would have been the first apples off the tree, the first oranges, the first part of your paycheck goes to God. The tithe is the Lord's. When you give the tithe, your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will be bursting with wine. Please don't drive me into an argument that, well, the tithe is not New Testament. Baloney. Let's not argue about that. In fact, if anything, if you want me to be honest with you, tithe is an incomplete in the age of grace. In other words, if you don't tithe, then you must be given more than 10%. Truth is, the tithe is still relevant and still important. And just in case you're wondering how we're able to do whatever we're able to do, it's because of the faithfulness of God's people who have taken the tithe out of the bank and their pocketbook and put it in the place or given online so that we can have church this morning and reach who we're reaching with the gospel. My wife and I have learned to give more and more and more every year, and we don't regret it at all. And my heart is broken this morning. I bring to you a heavy heart in this message because... There's two problems we have right now in our church. You know, we don't have any problems. We're blessed. It's amazing. I love this church with all my heart. In fact, if you were to ask me right now, are we on a high note? We got more people joining our church and visiting our church. And this is the largest summer, crowd, largest summer crowds we've ever had in the last seven years. It's amazing. But we have two serious issues, two great needs, a deficit in the general account and a deficit in the missions. We're beginning to feel it. We're really beginning to feel it been a long time since I felt this pressure. I'm really not sure why the problem is there because I know the resources are here to meet those needs. I know that. And so I'm just going to challenge you to take it very seriously that we have a deficit. I'm going to challenge you to take it very seriously yourself. What can you do? What can I do? What can we do? 
And most importantly, I say this, that if the tithe that the Lord desires is in your pockets and not in his fellowship, please, please take a step of faith. Because there is a great victorious verse found in Malachi, and I believe this is one of the greatest verses that brings a foundation of financial freedom. It says, bring, all the tithe, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. I love that. Just in case you are wondering, God is saying, hey, hey, when you bring that tithe, just put me to the test. If you've got a lack of faith, bring that tithe and watch me work. I'd love it if you just let go and let God because I'm right here to bless you far more than you could ever imagine. In fact, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need in your life. God says, try me. Try me. And I long for some of you to know the faith-building experience of giving generously to the Lord in tithes and offerings. Money. Money. Wow. The Bible says all that about money. The Bible says to gain it honestly. The Bible says to esteem it accurately. The Bible says to give it generously. Or, the Bible says, it will destroy you. It will destroy you. And so I bring you this morning the wise choices that you need to make about money. And my advice to you as you look at that graphic again on the screen, making wise choices, and you look at those three arrows, I advise you to take that straight and narrow path. Follow God's word. Do what it says. You say, yeah, but preacher, things are already tight. Things are, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just not sure. You know, I've got this and that. And I, I'm telling you, church, try God. Test it. Just see if he won't keep his word. Try it. Make a wise choice. Gain it honestly. Esteem it accurately. Give it generously. It's the only way to go. It's the Proverbs way. Every head bowed, every eye closed. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I pray that God would use these words and these thoughts and may the Holy Spirit of God speak to us. May He change us. May He mold us and make us and give us a righteous plan. A plan that would move towards us getting out of debt and experiencing financial freedom. But in the middle of all that, putting you first and not last. Oh, God, help us. Speak to us. And if there should be one in this service who does not you as the, know you as their personal Savior, as we sing this song that Jesus paid it all, may they today come to that knowledge that Jesus has paid the price for their sins and today can give them eternal life. And they can begin a journey of living a life that honors God. It also includes their money. I love you, God, and I love what you're doing for us in this series. Continue to work and move in our service. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together?